think we kind of got going on whatever goose we were doing and forgot to tell people that this is Afternoonified and I'm Emily. Yeah. So remember to do that this time. I'm already recording. That was the lead in. I was just going to start fading in on that. Well, you got to warn me before you hit record. I thought it would be funny. It's not funny when I look like a doofus. <laughs> Only to you. I'm uh, Sarah. There this we is go. Afternoonified. <laughs> And I, once again, am Emily. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, my story reading voice will not be making an appearance in this episode because it it wrecks my throat. I'll be doing my story. No, I can't do a voice the whole episode. I will never be able to keep that straight. Uh, I will laugh. It's difficult. It's difficult. I was mildly impressed with my ability to go from a story reading (laughs) voice to like, check out this bitch. With her one eye. (laughs) Anyways, what are we going to talk about? I'm sure it's in the title for the episode, but, you know. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the Glensheen murders. Uh, So it's kind of a murder mini. We're trying, I don't know, we're throwing spaghetti at the walls with these minis and these bonus episodes. A murder ministry? Never mind. A Minnesota murder mini. A mini. A mini mini Minnesota murder. murder. (laughs) Like, the murder is very small, or... (laughs) The episode is going to be very small. The episode is going to be very short because there's, I mean, it's a pretty short murder story. There, there's but. like some grumpy old ladies in it, right? Oh, there's like several grumpy old ladies. At least three. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> you can, you'll have to count them as we go through. What, what, what would you call that? A uh, a crochet of of old ladies? The like sequel the to the them? 1993, I don't know if that's 1993, classic grumpy old men. Yeah, filmed yeah, yeah, yeah. in Minnesota, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, everything cool was. Anyway, um, we're off the rails very quickly, think, and we only have like 15 minutes, so we should. I think you guys have like Fargo and Lizzo, and that's it, and you need to sit down. Prince. Okay, no. Oh, God. I can't believe I forgot that one. Don't forget Prince. You will I'm gonna be murdered. going to be drawn and quartered. It's our whole identity, Emily. We only. <laughs> yeah, but we have Everclear up here. The band, not the booze. Oh, I was going to say, we technically, I think it's illegal here, but we can just go over to Wisconsin to get it because they're all drunks. Everclear is illegal? I think it's... Nope. Nope. Is it not going to start the content? episode yet because I got to Google this. Is Everclear legal in Minnesota? And I would doubt it. So I always feel like that's something you got to go to Wisconsin to get. 15 other states, including Minnesota, Michigan, and Iowa, already banned high potent liquors. Everclear is sold... At both 151 proof and 190 proof. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, um, so you guys just hate fun. Yeah. Well, no. We just aren't drunks like Wisconsin. You hate fun. How else are you supposed to make, like, good infused vodkas if you're not using Everclear? Regular vodka? I don't know. Anyway, don't so a uh, murder, you say? <laughs> We're talking about a murder today. Vodka is for rich women and high schoolers who don't know any better. Yes. I don't drink vodka anymore. Wait, uh, before... Because of an sorry. incident. We're... I'm going to derail this one more time. Um, <laughs> there was a specific disgusting high schooler drink that you put into my life. It was like fruit punch and whiskey or some bullshit. Oh, um, playgrounds. It was fruit punch. Like literally, you know those, you could get them in like six packs. They were little plastic like jugs almost and they had a foil top. Oh, yeah. No, like so, a Hawaiian fruit punch, right? Yeah. So when we were in college, we would open those, drink a little bit, and uh, fill the rest up with vodka, and it was disgusting. And we called them playgrounds. I thought you said whiskey. Nope, vodka. It was. This was 
No, it was probably post-Ireland, but pre, like, I actually drank good liquor. (laughs) Anyway. Whiskey and orange soda is to not be fucked with, just so we all know. Not be fucked with as in don't... uh, Don't start and you won't get none. Uh, It's terrible and it will, uh, like, boil your insides, I think. It sounds like it. That sounds like a deadly combination. Yeah, it's like an old-fashioned, like, shitty teenage brother. yeah. Now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. So many Minnesota mystery murders. Mini. No, you got to say it right. It's mini soda murder. Mini soda murder. This might be an ongoing series. It might not be. I don't know if I can find any other interesting murders because we're not psychopaths like Wisconsin. I was going to say you might have to branch out to Wisconsin. No, we're not talking about them. We keep the real we're deviants. Ta- yeah. Deviant. That was the name of the Ed Gein book. For an episode that, when this comes out, we will have released six weeks per <laughs> if my schedule is correct, which it is, because I'm a great scheduler. Something like oh that. Oh, my God. We got to start talking about Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Go on. Start talking about the old women before I can keep going. Okay. <laughs> on June 27th, 1977, 83-year-old Elizabeth Congdon, a wealthy heiress, was found smothered in her bed with a satin pillow. So, um, the beginning of a That's game a- of Clue. Yeah, that's a classy lady's way to go out. <laughs> Her night nurse, a 67-year-old woman named Velma Petila, was found on the grand stairway, bludgeoned to death with a sturdy brass candlestick. It's How literally a game of Clue. old do you have to be where the person taking care of you is almost 70? Uh, 83. And rich. Old. <laughs> So the murders became an instant media sensation due in no small part to their location, the Glensheen Mansion in Duluth, Minnesota. And the fact that nothing else was happening in Minnesota in 1977. I doubt it. Um, My brother was being born. Not that second, but that year. (laughs) Oh my god, what if he is the reincarnation? (gasps) Oh my god, I bet he is. (laughs) Even though he was born six months before she died whatever anyway she was dead inside long before her (laughs) physical body died her spirit had like ascended anyway (laughs) uh so the glenshine mansion sits on 12 acres acres of waterfront property on lake superior 12 anchors it's on the waterfront so you have to have 12 anchors to keep it bolted down yeah um lake superior is the big one Mm -hmm. we have 10,000 lakes in minnesota i don't know if you've heard of this um it some of them are puddles. No, they're all lakes and Glenshine and Superior is the biggest one, and that's where the Glenshine Mansion is. Uh, it is over thirty nine rooms and over twenty five thousand square feet. Twenty seven thousand square feet. Sorry, I rounded down. Well, how dare you? <laughs> uh, it cost a total of eight hundred fifty four thousand dollars to construct, um, equivalent to more than twenty two million dollars today. Going to say that can't be in today's money. No, no, it's a big fucking house. You can't um, even get a house in Portland for. $800,000. No. Nonsense. Uh, but it was built in 1909 by Chester Congdon, who made his fortune in mining on the Minnesota Iron Range. Elizabeth Congdon was his last living child. Oh, wow. So, almost immediately, investigators zeroed in on two suspects, Marjorie Caldwell, Elizabeth's adopted daughter, and her second husband, Roger. Uh, the couple was short on money. Um, Marjorie had managed to burn through nearly two million dollars of the eight million dollars she stood to inherit from her mother jesus yeah she's i mean i don't how these would these people you spend who $2 million? blow inheritance is so fast like what are they buying i don't and this is two million in like 1977 money so i don't know boats anyway um she also had asked um the month before the murder um roger and marjorie had asked the congdon trustees because like 
it's a big, super wealthy family, and so their money is controlled by like a board. Yeah. Um, but they asked them for seven hundred fifty thousand to buy a horse breeding ranch. Uh, they'd been denied. Well, yeah, because that's a dumb fucking idea. Well, and Marjorie was, well, she was the black sheep of her family. Um, she'd been married numerous times and had a reputation as a troublemaker. Um, she had also been diagnosed as a sociopath in 1949, so she had that going for her. Well, I mean, in the defense of sociopaths, <laughs> not all of them are horrible monsters. No. Uh, this one might be. Hashtag not all sociopaths. <laughs> uh, there was also an incident in 1973, four years before the murders, um, when Elizabeth suddenly became ill after eating a sandwich slathered with Marjorie's homemade marmalade. Oh! Uh, she survived, but the hospital staff were unable to explain the suspiciously high level of tranquilizers found in her system. That is some so, special, yeah, so about special right marmalade. Away, the investigators were like, hmm. <laughs> huh. Weird. I think think it might be that lady <laughs> i'm actually i think what they said is oh geez i think it might have been that lady that's actually accurate that's probably a direct quote i've seen fargo oh. a couple times oh geez oh no so shortly after the funeral roger had to be rushed to the hospital after suffering an unexpected collapse uh turns out he too had been pumped full of sedatives not suspicious you know tim i'm starting <laughs> to think that this lady might not be good news <laughs> just wait oh, there's so so many classic Minnesota people in this story. I wish uh, so... I didn't sound so much like all the characters from Trailer Park Boys when I did my Midwestern <laughs> accent, but... Uh, so while he was recovering, the police searched the couple's Twin Cities hotel room where they found Elizabeth's diamond watch, um, a sapphire ring, and a wicker suitcase that had been stolen from the mansion. A wicker suitcase? It was the 70s. Wicker. It was the 70s? I don't know what to tell you. It, that's a picnic basket. What you have described as a picnic basket. <laughs> uh, on top of this, Marjorie had signed a paper just three days before Elizabeth's, de Elizabeth's death. I cannot say that name today. Uh, declaring that Roger would receive $2.5 million of her inheritance. Which, I mean, she already had spent that much. So uh, Yeah, she, you can have that part of it. Because <laughs> I've already spent mine. Uh, so they were arrested. As you yeah. would. And Roger was convicted in 1978 and sentenced to two life sentences. Uh, the very next day, Marjorie was charged with conspiring to kill her mother. So the whole theory of the case was, like, Roger actually did the killing, but, like, it was all Marjorie's idea, Marjorie's plan. Um, yeah, so John DeSanto, right. the chief prosecutor, said, We always believed, and the whole theory of the case was, that she was the woman behind the man. Unfortunately, <laughs> Marjorie's prial proved to be a little more difficult. Um, an expert disputed a fingerprint and a witness changed her story. Marjorie spent the trial knitting at the defense table like a... This bitch. Yeah. Uh, when it was the one of the lawyer's birthdays, she brought in a cake. God damn it. Uh, so it wasn't long before the jurors started to doubt this woman was capable of killing her mother. And here's where you can do the Minnesota voice because this is the most Minnesotan thing I've ever heard. I was like, oh, she's too nice. <laughs> she Holy. couldn't... She, there's no... Sorry, it's so stupid. I can't even... Oh, uh, it's... Wait, oh, geez, just wait. I just don't think that she could do it. That that red velvet cake was just, it was so moist. Don't I don't know, Sandy. That accent. I don't know. It was awful. Like I said, <gasps> all of the trailer park boys in one person, they're from Canada. Well, I mean, Minnesota is America's Canada, as I've always said. <laughs> it's true. So because we are so Canadian, uh, Marjorie was acquitted of the murder, and she celebrated the verdict afterward by partying with the jury members. Very I'm cool. imagining like a Gossip Girl level, like <laughs> dancing on the bar party, but I 
think that she would have been like 60 or 70. Um, She would have been probably about in her 40s at this point. She had like five children or something. Okay. Yeah. It's not like glamorous, wealthy, Blake Lively heiress by any means. Um, I'll post a mugshot too. It's more like uh, Blake Instagram. Lively's mom, except Minnesotan. Yeah. Uh, so in 1983, based on the disputed fingerprint evidence introduced at Marjorie's trial, the Minnesota Supreme Court threw out Roger Caldwell's conviction. Uh, rather than risk another acquittal, prosecutors struck a deal with Roger, um, shortening his sentence in exchange for his confession. So he ended up serving just five years in prison. Oh, it, it, was it like one of those deals that they gave the uh, um, ah, fuck, oh, like those an kids Alfred in Tennessee sort of thing? I don't that know if it one, was like officially that. Or, yeah, I honestly have no idea. None of the articles I read really went into much detail, legally speaking. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the shitty plea. Yeah. Uh, so 12 years after the murders, Roger completed suicide. And in his suicide note, he claimed he was innocent of killing Elizabeth Congdon. Uh, he never did get any of his promised money from Marjorie. But also Marjorie didn't get the money either. Yeah, because so. she sounds like a horrible bitch. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. So let's get into Marjorie. Because <laughs> the story doesn't end with no one ever served time in prison. Oh, well, Roger served some time in prison, but Marjorie <laughs> never did. Okay. So in 1982... She married a man named Wallace Hagen in North from North Dakota, uh, <laughs> never bothering to divorce Roger first. This is while he was still in prison. Good Lord. <laughs> Two Wait, years so she's after, a bigamist on top of everything she's else? She's a bigamist on top of all of this whole list I'm just about to go down. Uh, two years after that, she was convicted of burning down a house in Mound, Minnesota. Uh, it was a house she had sold, but had still for some reason, and I don't know how this was possible, but she still was listed as the insurance beneficiary. So, like, it wasn't her house anymore, but she would get the insurance money I mean, depending on when she sold it and when the uh, insurance ran out. Yeah, it might have been, like, a timing thing. Yeah, um, um, that that happens more than you'd like to think. Yeah. In 1990, she and her husband, uh, still Wallace Hagen, uh, moved to Arizona, where they continued to be followed by suspicious fires. Until Mar- finally, Marjorie was caught trying to burn her neighbor's house down in 1991. A good year. Was that the year you were born? It was the year I was born. 90s baby. Yes. So, such a baby. You are, what, two years older than me? Three years older, excuse me. Well. (laughs) Uh, So, before being sentenced for, you know, the fires, uh, Marjorie was given 24 hours to help her now ailing husband travel from Tucson to their home in Ajo. Uh, He was dead within hours of their return of a drug overdose. Why do they keep letting this woman around other people? So Marjorie insisted that they'd had a suicide pact and that she'd gotten cold feet. Oh my Um, god. She'd never been charged for his murder. Wallace Hagen's children still believe she killed him and suspect she may have been involved in the unexpected death of his first wife as well. Yeah, me too. Interesting footnote. Uh, Marjorie would serve 11 years in prison for arson. Um, She was released in 2004. We're not done yet. In 2007, she was charged with fraud, theft, forgery, and computer tampering after she had befriended a man in his 70s named Roger Samus. And somehow, I don't know how anyone let this happen, she became his power of attorney. Uh, After his death, she had him cremated before police could determine what had killed him uh, and was caught attempting to deposit his $11,000 inheritance into her own bank account. Uh, so in 2009, she pled guilty to the forgery charge and was sentenced to three years of intensive probation. Intensive probation? Yep. Uh, so she's 87 now, and as far as I can tell, no longer on probation, no longer being supervised. Uh, sounds like she's still out and about. So Murdering that's people. Real cool. 
she just sounds like, okay, I'm going to tell you my story of how I heard this story. And it was um, when I was 13, we went to Duluth for vacation because that's what you did in Minnesota. All right. (laughs) And we toured the Glenshine Mansion and I like heard about the murders. They like at the time I went, which would have been about 2000, they had a very strict rule that they didn't talk about the murders at the house. Like it was very disrespectful and... Yeah, and I think now they've loosened it so they don't talk about the murders on the tour, but, like, the tour guides will take questions after, the, like, the formal stuff is over. Um, so, like, I never, like, heard the actual story or any of the stuff with Marjorie. And then I think one day at work it just, like, came up because one of my coworkers had gone to visit and we got into, like, the whole story. And I pulled up the Wikipedia page and it just kept – it was one of those Wikipedia pages that escalates so quickly, like the Tom of the Station Cat. It just – keeps on exactly going. like tom of the station cat exactly where it goes like from tom. no murders to a promotion and nine murders yeah so yeah that's the glenshee murders that's definitely a that's story all that i've you got told. to tell you <laughs> well so i think we can rest assured that she uh did it i would say so yeah like minnesota's very own oj <laughs> she has yet to write a book but i would read it if she did if i definitely didn't do it <laughs> Well, that was. I mean, at this point, she might as well admit to it. She can't get tried for it again. Didn't wasn't John List like seventy five when they finally arrested him? Though probably something like that. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, she's been tried and acquitted. So I guess within the yeah yeah, um, I guess if (laughs) if you'd like to confess, you can email us, (laughs) Marjorie. If you're listening. Email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail dot com. We'd love to hear from you. We would absolutely love to hear about it trying to think of what like a nice homey minnesotan version of the jinx would be (laughs) you should just start a podcast called the hot dish and it's just minnesotan based gossip i'm trying to think of anything oh no it's like i have a story about the u.s bank ceo but i'm going to save that for another minnesota because it's also just stupid we're just going to start calling this series of we're going to start calling this series of mini episodes the hot dish. I like it. I like it. Hot dish number one, Glenshee uh, murders in the in the bank. In, is that what they say? In, yes. In the can? In the books, I believe. In the can. All right. If we're making films in 1977. <laughs> well, we're making films about 1977, except they're podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by We Can't Fucking Keep On task at nine o'clock at night <laughs> anyways can you tell that we recorded this episode after we already recorded another episode immediately after cannibalism at that oh boy so it's a little anyways, fun peek behind um, the curtain for you guys anyways if you uh, don't forget to subscribe rate review all of that fun stuff for twitter at afternoonified uh instagram at afternoonified all of that stuff i'm ready to to go i'm going to bed now all right Goodbye. Good night. We love you.